Hey, welcome to episode 377 with Gary Smith, who drives home a point that knowledge of electricity is the single most important requirement in repairing today's high-tech vehicles. Here's a taste. If you're a shop owner, what you need to do is calculate lost labor time, comebacks, and incorrect diagnostics and how they affect your service advisor in a relationship with that customer on the service desk. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hi, Carm Capriato here, and in just a few minutes, you'll get to know Gary Smith from AutoMaster Training as we sat down at the ASAPA Super Saturday Training Conference. Federal Mogul's Garage Guru supports Remarkable Results Radio. Now, if you can't make it to a hands-on training session, Garage Gurus Online provides you with 24-7 access to the high-quality training you need to succeed. Online, on-site, and on-demand. Find out more at fmgaragegurus.com. We discuss so many leadership principles on the show, and many service professionals and coaches drop book titles they recommend you read. To make it easy to find these highly recommended books, I created for you a books page on the website. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash books to find them and get more information. You can even click to order. Hey, when you get done reading your next one, let me know your thoughts. Keep an eye out for my special Facebook Live shows. I call them CarmCasts. I'm discussing the industry, requirements for success, behind the scenes with the shows, what events I'm going to be at, upcoming interviews, and industry news, among other stuff. Look for these special CarmCasts coming to a desktop or smart device near you. Yeah, I met Gary Smith for the first time at ATE in Seattle in spring 2018. He gave a keynote that resonated with the audience about electricity. He's been fascinated with it his whole life and believes that the more you know of electricity's core fundamentals, the better diagnostician you'll be. He says many technicians have never been to a basic electric class. Therefore, the question, how will you survive in today's repair environment and keep pace with the diagnostic challenges you face every day? Gary, like other trainers I've interviewed, can't say enough about basic electrical training. Along with your commitment to continually train, invest in yourself, and get to a basic automotive electrical class at least every three years. Now listen to ham radio enthusiast Gary Smith, who tells the story of Edward Weston, who invented a tool in circa 1893 that you still use today. Hey, a warm welcome to Gary Smith. I'm with him here at Super Saturday in uh, Warminster, Pennsylvania at Super Saturday. Glad to see you, Gary. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, this is great. I saw you do a keynote speech out at ATE in Seattle last year. Took a lot of great notes. Been chasing you down, and we found out that you were going to be here. And I said, woo, let's do the interview right in the cool little Super Saturday studio. I loved what you said in Seattle. Uh, you, you talked about ham radios. You talked about electricity. You were so passionate. And, and I think the net result was, if we don't know electricity... And we're playing with cars today. We're we're relevant. That's exactly right. And that's the warning that I've had for the industry throughout these keynote addresses: is that we have to, as an industry, we we have to take more seriously educating our guys on basic electronic principles prior to jumping them into the high tech stuff. Carm, that's where a lot of our 
uh, shop owners and techs get themselves in trouble with individual cars and with customers is that we're uh, out teching ourselves and replacing things and only to find in the final analysis it's a bad wire. And if we can get better in our industry at teaching our guys that, uh, coming in the door, the basics of electrical flow and signal analysis, then as they become more advanced, they're going to become much, much more proficient at fixing these cars right the first time. And that's what the industry needs. The blockage of many of our techs today and really wanting to understand, I don't know, volt ohms and amps, what, what, the, the, these core principles, is it, and oh, by the way, I remember interviewing some guys in the, over 380 some interviews and they say, going back to a basic class about like every three or four years is like so powerful. Absolutely. And, and when you do that, you see maybe, hey, you were here two or three years ago. What did they come up and say to you? And t- tell me about what you see in the in the eyes and in the in you know the smiles, the the references from your text. Well, you know that's a great question, and uh, it's interesting. I, I get a mix. Uh, I'll see technicians a year or two down the road from one of our classes, our diagnostic classes, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, "My goodness, you know, I was sitting in your class at first thinking I was going to be bored because you were going over basic electronic principles." But what I always try to do is I try to equate the basic electronic principles into a modern day advanced diagnostic scenario where a good ATEC of maybe twenty or thirty years is stuck on a car. And so the feedback that I get a lot is, wow, you know, it's very, very important for us to go back to the basics. Even the best of techs that, you know, really know what they're doing um, can very easily be out teched. So one of the biggest feedbacks I get is, wow, thank you for pointing out that we can go back and trace these very, very complex circuits using basic Ohm's law and the analysis with our three critical meters, which is our scope or voltmeter, our ohm meter, and our ammeter. We can really put together a lot of arguments on diagnostic problems that way. And it's really good to be able to be grounded and go back to that, even as an advanced tech. Um, and I also find that the younger techs that come through my classes, the feedback from them a year or two later is, wow, am I glad you put that in my head? Uh, because I've gone so far into the technology with the scan tool, learning what I'm learning, that uh, understanding how basic electricity flows in the circuit can really help me. So, so a challenge would be go back to basics. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the latest class I've written is called Basic Electronics and Electricity for the Advanced Diagnostic Technician. Oh. And that's an interesting thing to name a class like that, because if you put basic on anything, the advanced techs uh, don't even look at it. The draw is, uh, I'm advanced. uh, I'm curious. What does he mean by basic and advanced. It's almost like two words that shouldn't appear in any training. It's almost like an oxymoron, isn't it? And the thing is, is that uh, it's kind of interesting because when you get the guys into that class, I find that they get more engaged on the basic electronic principles than they do on applying it to advanced diagnostic scenarios. And I think the reason that that's so, Carm, is that basically what I spoke about in the keynote address um, is that we all learn how we learn, meaning we we came into the business 30 years ago and, and a new boss just threw a scan tool into our hands and said, hey, here's how you go diagnose an oxygen sensor code. And so a lot of us were jumped into that uh, well prior to understanding how electricity flows from positive to negative or negative to positive more accurately in a battery and how the circuit actually works. So right off the bat, a lot of us came into this industry with a huge deficit of knowledge of the basics of how electricity flows through the computer control system. And then of course, over time, we realize that we can get lost pretty easily on some of those tougher issues. So you can become so irrelevant so quickly in this industry 
without what? Is it, is it being a perpetual student? It is. And boy, you just hit the nail right on the head. Um, I, I get many people that will say to me, Gary, how in the heck do you pull this stuff off your head when you're teaching and or when you're helping us on a support car? And my answer is always the same, Carm. My answer is never ceasing study. Those are the three words that I try to get every technician that comes through my classes to understand. If you want to get proficient at what you're doing and get better at it and become a top-level technician in this industry, you have to be a student of your business, and you have to apply something in your life that I call never ceasing study. And if you ask my wife how, how much study I do in the course of my business to write classes and do support level uh, technical service on cars, it's incredible. Yeah. And you can't stop learning because the day you do, you begin to come irrelevant in the industry. And a lot of us are there, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, a lot of us have fallen into that trap. Yeah, ask my wife, Anne, how much time I spend on producing these four shows a week. I know. It's, 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 yeah. a, it's amazing. Brake jobs are a staple component of all successful shops, and getting the brake job right helps build a quality reputation for any shop. When the best is called for and stopping distance, rotor wear, and pad life are important to every shop and its customers, Wagner OEX brake pads are your only choice. Based on benchmark testing conducted by Link Engineering Company, Wagner OEX pads can stop a pickup, SUV, or CUV up to 50 feet sooner. Based on internal testing comparing new Wagner OEX to other Wagner offerings, the unique design of Wagner OEX increases pad life up to two times longer. The customized shape and slot design of each of the more than 114 SKUs creates a turbulent airflow that allows for cooler operation and improved stopping power for the vehicle on which it was designed. Wagner OEX cover 95% of the U.S. market of pickups, SUVs, and CUVs. Wagner has the science behind stopping perfected. They conduct 13,000 critical tests each year, and as of today, have 258 issued patents with 68 patents pending. Wagner has earned their stripes. Now they want to earn yours. Install Wagner OEX, the customized brake pad that can stop your customer's truck up to 50 feet sooner. You know that 70% of professional technicians install Moog? Do you know who is best in class in engineering R&D? Do you know who holds 47 patents and has 28 dedicated engineers on staff? Yeah, Moog. You should know that 85% of Moog socket-style components are manufactured in North America, and that makes Moog best-in-class for manufacturing. And since 1966, every NASCAR championship has been won on Moog parts. But you knew that. I know why you install Moog. They solve your problems. Over the years, Moog has provided problem-solving innovations like a patented pressed-in cover plate, powdered metal gusher-bearing technology, compression-loaded ball joints with a pre-installed integral dust boot, and vertical control arm bushings. You know why you install Moog. Enhanced durability, improved performance, and ease of installation. For more information, go to MoogParts.com. Now you know. you, you got to be a geek. To, to be a tech today. Yeah. 
in a manner of speaking, and what does you sure that mean? do. What does that mean? What does geek mean? Today? Well, that that means you know we have to be uh, we have to be so curious, uh, almost to be geek like about solving a problem and figuring out what's going on. And most of us are learning from trial and error. I mean, we we all can go to training classes and get really good instructors that teach us the basic principles of how things work. But most technicians that I know, myself included, learn much more effectively with hands-on applications. So, uh, I just had a, an interview with the, the trained by technicians group here, and, and and I say this a lot during the show: when you teach, you learn. Correct. Okay. Uh, advice: uh, Someone attended your class today, and they're going back to the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you recommend that they spend an hour with the rest of the team and share what they learned? Absolutely. And. Carm, that's a very important thing to bring forth in these classes, because if you think about the economies of automotive training, if you have a class, uh, and, and this date here at Super Saturday would be a, a, an exemption from that, because uh, the shop owner would be paying a flat fee to have his guys come in and take the two classes. But if you take a, and go to a World Pack class or any kind of training class out in your local market that's two or $300 a pop, that shop owner is really thinking about who he's going to put in the class, isn't he? So he's going to, in his mind, take his most most experience, and I use air quotes here, ATEC, and he's going to put that gentleman in the class or that lady in the class to potentially uh, get them schooled up on some of the more advanced subjects. That's all well and fine, but if that technician comes back to the shop the next day and he goes into his bay and he doesn't say anything to anybody, then the only one that got the benefit of that training is that tech. I'm a proponent of asking technicians to go back and run a quick 20-minute seminar on the class just to educate the guys that are underneath them in the chain. And I don't mean underneath as people. I mean yeah, less yeah. experienced techs. Sure. Bring some of this information to them and let them start practicing right. with that voltmeter. Boy, I'll tell you, I, I just learned so much. You, it didn't matter what kind of class I went to. And, and, and a lot of them in, in my career was on leadership. And I would go back and I'd say, you know, I've got to get this information to my team. And it was amazing how convicted I became of the subject when I went and I preached it a sure. little bit. Sure. Great, great. P- appreciate that. When, when I was up at listening to your keynote, uh, there was an incredible learning moment that uh, came to me on your Rolls-Royce story. And I said to myself, if I ever have a chance to interview Gary, I've got to get him to tell it. Sure. That's a neat story. Uh, we had a vehicle, uh, uh, my support business, I got a call one day from a, a shop in southern Florida, and they were having a tremendous problem with a Rolls-Royce, a relatively new one um, that was having serious, serious warranty problems to the point where uh, it wasn't able to be uh, solved. And the car is now two and a half, three years old, and it's been running around with this intermittent misfire. Uh, and we brought the vehicle into the shop, and we had no service information on the car whatsoever. Um, those people that work on exotics and BMWs and Mercedes and m- more in the BMW and find that the factory service information can be lacking or confusing, let's put it that way. In this case, it was lacking. And we didn't have any service information to go after this car, and yet we had this intermittent misfire we had a very big problem with this because the owner of the vehicle was not happy with what was going on. And he was, of course, barking up all of the trees to get it resolved, including threatening lawsuits and everything else. Right. And so they were kind of uh, called me up and said, How, you know, is there any way that you could come down and help me? So I went down and, and we started to look at this car. Well, with the lack of service information, if you have a V12 
two-bank Rolls-Royce engine, which is really a BMW V12 engine, and you have no service information on it, and it has two computers and a million sensors and all kinds of stuff going on, where does a technician start? And this is where they were getting in trouble with the vehicle is that there was no real set pattern or way for them to go about fixing it. So the way that I chose to do it was I brought my lab scope, uh, which is my favorite tool. You know, you have to learn to use a lab scope. And this Rolls-Royce example is a good reason why. Uh, all the scan tools and high-level BMW techs in the world that were looking at this car could didn't seem to be, I shouldn't say couldn't figure it out, they didn't seem to be able to figure it out because there I was. So what I did was, because we didn't have service information, I decided to use my lab scope to model the various circuits in the car. So the ignition, the injection, the sensor circuits, and I modeled them one against each other. Uh, and through that process, what we were able to do after about four hours worth of work was we were able to track down the condition to an intermittent uh, condition with one of the injectors on one of the banks of the engine. And of course, that injector, once we found it and and confirmed that that was what was wrong, was the exact same cylinder, uh, who knew, that was uh, creating the misfire codes in the car that they couldn't fix. So the reason that we got that car fixed, Carm, was we went backwards through the system without service information and just used what we had. In other words, we took a look at all the injectors and all of the ignition and all of the sensors on either side of the engine, compared them one to the other until we could solve what what the problem was. You know, the net result of that story is that we were able to get um, a dealership and a, and a manufacturer and a customer out of a tremendous amount of problem. As you might think, a Rolls-Royce, you know, drophead phantom convertible um, cost a couple of bucks. <laughs> and so when the, the threats were coming that I'm going to sue somebody over oh. this car, it was very, very necessary to get it fixed. And that's how we did it. Basic electricity. Basic electricity and, and modeling what we had. Yeah, and modeling uh-huh. and logic. Yep. Great story. And, and I'm sure there's a bunch of technicians out there and owners that uh, can relate to their greatest challenge like that. Absolutely. Um, thanks for sharing that story. Uh, when I was at ATE, you had a booth, a table, and, and I walked by it and I saw some of the most fascinating old antique radios that I never knew existed. And, you know, and I'm a baby boomer. Maybe you are, too. Yes. And I looked at that stuff and, you know, I said, where did you get that? And that's when I first met you. I was fascinated. To me, what a draw for anybody walking by a table to meet a trainer like you and stop and, and probably everyone said, what's that? Yeah. What was your favorite old time radio? My favorite old-time radio is a 1929 Atwater Kent TRF radio, and that means tuned radio frequency. That's before you had numbers like 101.3 on the dial. They didn't have that concept yet. And the way that that radio works is you have three separate tuning capacitors that have to be tuned at the same time in unison until the radio squeals, and then you dial the squeal into a voice from there. And it's just such a unique piece. I have two radios from the 1920s that are my two favorites. The first one is a 1924, and it runs off batteries. It was pre-electricity plugged into the walls. So this ran off of a 90-volt DC battery and comes through a horn speaker. And it's just the most tremendous, tremendously cool-sounding radio that you've ever heard. What, What kind of respect do you give our forefathers who created all of this? 
I give them all the respect. And you might have met, uh, noticed in my keynote address, I went over the contributions of several of those people, the early founders of electricity. You know, in school, we learn about Edison and probably only about Edison. But there are so many uh, prolific uh, radio and electronics engineers. You know, you have to remember, they literally figured out a way to pull these radio waves out of the air and decode them and bring them out of a speaker back in the day. I mean, who would have thought in 1906 to the 1920 period when radios were actually started to be, had actually started to be mass produced, who would have ever thought that somebody could have figured that out? Yeah, voice in, wave out, voice back in and out. Incredible. I know. Incredible. And for those guys to be able to figure that out was literally the basis of everything we do in the automotive industry. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I put those guys in my keynote is people like um, um, Arthur Atwater, okay, that uh, built Atwater Kent Radios. He was the guy that invented ignition coil transformers for Henry Ford. So we wouldn't have ignition coils if it wasn't for that radio builder. There's several people in the radio building industry that contributed greatly to the automotive industry. Edward Weston was one. Edward Weston, you might remember from my my keynote address, was the gentleman that figured out how to measure voltage, current, and and resistance um, in a calibrated exact fashion, meaning they had galvanometers and all kinds of weird test equipment that they had figured out to build for themselves to, to learn about electricity. But the first guy that ever handed us a voltmeter that was calibrated and certified to be correct every time you applied it to a circuit was, was Edward Weston. And for over 50 years, he dominated the industry in uh, test equipment. And so one of the things that I uh, did in my passion for learning was I went back and studied Edward Weston from the 1800s into when he made his uh, first advances in 1893. Um, and uh, to this day, I, I'm a fan of Edward Weston, and I've learned from him. And part of my passion is I take these old pieces of equipment that have been sitting in somebody's attic for 80 years, and I tear them apart and diagnose them and put them back together in working order, uh, vacuum tube equipment and that kind of thing. And through that process, it has created a tremendous learning curve in my automotive career because I'm now learning about things um, from the beginning of time. Yeah. So I'm not jumping in yeah. after the fact, after it's, it's all high tech. It, it's at the point of conception almost. And you, you look at that and you say, wow, that makes you yes. know, a human or it makes electricity work. Edward Weston, I believe, he patented the first voltmeter or sure did. the voltmeter. The voltmeter. The voltmeter. Yeah, the first one ever. Uh, and he's also the guy that invented the standard volt. And the standard volt is a little device that he built that is temperature and age um, resistant, meaning you can take it at any altitude, any temperature, and, and it can be 130 years old, and it will still read the exact amount of voltage. And this is what's used today to calibrate our voltmeters and scopes that we buy from these major companies. And it it's still Edward Weston's technology from wow. 1893. It's incredible. I love your passion. Uh, let's go from the 1800s to right now, sure. 20, 2018. Um, you probably would be standing in front of your class saying, why aren't there 30 more people in it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you got a great turnout. I walked by your classroom earlier. They, they were engaged. I know you got to get back. I got to, I got to let you go. We got to eat and, and keep training. So Gary, what's, what's the storyline today to let owners and technicians realize that they need to get their butts in these seats? Great question. And I'm going to answer it as succinctly as possible. <laughs> 
Let us have it. If you if you're a shop owner, what you need to do is calculate lost labor time, comebacks, and incorrect diagnostics and how they affect your service advisor in a relationship with that customer on the service desk. It literally drives me crazy in this industry when I hear a shop owner say, I'm not spending 250 bucks on that class. Are you kidding me? And I think to myself, that's less than two hours of labor in your shop. And you're complaining because your guys are, are sometimes inaccurate and maybe throwing parts at a car to guess at what's wrong with it to get it out of the shop. And if we can't equate the labor time and hours and parts and, and relationship with the customer that is lost as a result of not having that training, uh, that $250 for that class becomes a very, very uh, affordable thing to do. It's just that you have to look at it not as an expense, but how is that going to help me reduce my expenses, increase my customer satisfaction, and more importantly, my flat, flat rate productivity in the shop? Yeah. We tolerate the comebacks. We tolerate those gaps in efficiency, proficiencies, and we we don't necessarily think right. that training can help solve right. them. Problems. And it's almost baked in, isn't it? In other words, the, the acceptance of having a guy replace an oxygen sensor because the car has an oxygen sensor code only to come back to the desk yeah. and say, oh, sorry, boss, that didn't fix it. That's almost baked in and yeah. that's a shame it is it is when i heard you say that i, I shuddered yeah and then i realized that you're right it's almost accepted it is accepted and the thing that really bothers me about it and the reason that i have such passion for training and learning is because the only way we're going to overcome that in our industry and get our proper reputation back is to take training and learning more seriously than we do and quite frankly, I really get upset when I see, if I think about what this problem means to the general driving public in billions of dollars a year in misdiagnosis and throwing parts at the car that didn't fix it, geez, that training class at 250 bucks is not a lot of money, is it? No, it's not. Hey, I, uh, I'm so glad that we hooked up. Um, ever since I saw you at ATE and a couple of emails back and forth and stuff, uh, I really enjoyed this so much to learn uh, about uh, electricity. You just you just got to stay at it. Don't ignore it. Keep keep doing the basics, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if I had one piece of advice, and this is just a selfish piece of advice for guys, uh, one of the things that blew my learning open uh, beyond anything that's ever done so before is becoming a ham radio operator. That's something that just absolutely blew my electronics world open. And once I started to learn about ham radio and how uh, uh, radio frequencies and audio frequencies travel through circuits, all of the uh, things that I used to look at on lab scopes on an automotive platform now started to make sense. So if I had one little piece of advice, pick up a fun hobby. Um, mine is ham radio because I learn, learn, learn. And it's a fun thing that's outside of the automotive industry, and yet it brings me more and more experience and confidence on working on cars every day because now I can understand things far better than uh, what I've received over the years just in straight automotive 12-volt training. I'm glad you brought that up. It was on my notes. Ham radio. I love it. Thank you so much, Gary Smith. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Gary Smith, for your passion for the industry and the Rolls-Royce story. And also for the reminder that you must be curious if you want to solve diagnostic challenges today. I welcomed the reminder to technicians that after a training class, they must go back to educate the rest of the team because when you teach, you learn. Find Gary's bio and this interview's talking points at remarkableresults.biz slash E377. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.